may be seated. Good morning. Praise God for the cross. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 8. We'll be looking at verses 27 through 30. Mark chapter 8, 27 through 30. As we were singing, as you guys are turning there, thought about my childhood, growing up in a church there in Garner, North Carolina, a little independent Christian church, and my pastor, preacher Eddie Franks, 27 years he served at our church, just faithfully preaching the Word of God, and God in His grace showed me my need for Jesus, showed me my sin, showed me the truth of the cross, and God saved me when I was 12. Just thankful, thankful this morning. So our message today is entitled, Who Do You Say Jesus Is? Who Do You Say Jesus Is? Throughout history, many have given their thoughts about Jesus. He's arguably the most talked about person of all time. He's been, re been referred to as a good teacher, a perfect man, prophet of God, healer, the model person, the highest model of religion, the guide to humanity, the greatest among men. And we also know, according to Scripture, He's the Son of God. He's the God-man. God in flesh. My hope today, as we spend time in this passage, is that for each of us, according to Scripture, you will know who Jesus Christ is. Because you see, your answer to that particular question, who do you say that Jesus Christ is, is of utmost importance. It's life or death. It's heaven or hell. It's forgiveness, eternal life, eternal damnation. Who is Jesus Christ? So let's look at our passage this morning, Mark chapter 8, 27 through 30, and then we'll pray. Mark chapter 8, 27 through 30. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am. And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. 
Let's pray together. God, we know that your word is truth. We're thankful this morning, God, that we have your word in our heart language. And that in your amazing grace this morning, we're able to gather and to study your word together. God, as I've already mentioned, I'm thankful just the gift of salvation of as a child, as a little boy of God, I surely didn't deserve it, but you allowed me to to grow up in a, a Christian home and to be a part of a church and to hear the words of life Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and all throughout the week. And God, in your grace, you saved me. Lord, help us to be thankful people. As Jimbo has already mentioned this morning, God, we, we're undeserving. We're wretched sinners. By your grace, through faith in Christ, we're saved. Jesus, we thank you for the work of the cross. We thank you for your resurrection. And Lord, as we study this passage this morning, would you open up our eyes and our hearts and our minds to the truth, Christ, of who you are. And that you will do a work of grace in each of our hearts for the glory of your name. And it is in the wonderful name of Christ that we pray together. Amen. Well, let's look back at verse 27. We see that Jesus is moving to another location with his disciples. They're on their way to Caesarea Philippi, named after the Caesar and uh, Philip the Tetrarch. So when you have power, you get to name places after uh, yourself. So this particular city was 25, north, 25 miles north excuse me, of Bethsaida. And if you remember, that's where we were at last time. When you look back at verses 22 through 26 of that particular Jewish town of Bethsaida where Jesus had healed the man uh, that was blind. And before that, he had talked about uh, the disciples needing to be aware or beware of the bread of Herod and of the Pharisees. And they had gone by boat of the Sea of Galilee and Jesus was teaching them as they went. And then even before that, when you go back to Mark chapter 8, the first few verses, Jesus had fed the 4,000 in a mainly Gentile area. And so Jesus was proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles and to the Jews. And we know that the Pharisees were rejecting Christ. They were seeking after a sign, even though Jesus had already shown who he was. They didn't want to have anything to do with Christ. Their hearts were hard. And the disciples... They were all in, but things were still fuzzy. Things were still blurry. They were still trying to figure out exactly who Christ was. And so as they come now to Caesarea Philippi, 25 miles north, they travel from Bethsaida. And Jesus is just sharing his life, sharing truth with them. Caesarea Philippi was a mainly non-Jewish area. It was actually a, a place of pagan worship. Of the, the god Pan, who was half goat, half man. So it's just interesting that Jesus is going to reveal who he is, or the disciples understanding this, in a place that was a place of paganism. By the way, as Pastor Doug has already exhorted us, we have a responsibility, right, as Christians today, to proclaim the truth of Jesus in the pagan culture 
of America. We have a responsibility, a calling, and it is costly to make a stand for truth. Now, in verse 27, we see Jesus wanting to get some time alone, alone, excuse me, with the disciples. Luke 9 tells us that he even spent some time praying of just the magnitude of this particular conversation that they are going to have. And so as they're traveling, he asked them a very important question. So look there, the last part of verse 27. They're on the way, and he asked the disciples, it's kind of like a, an exam here. It's going to be a two-question exam. And the first question is, who do the people say that I am? Who do the people say that I am? A little side note this morning. When we think about ministry, and we think about life, and we think about mentoring, sharing life together, most of discipleship just happens in a very informal way. It's just life-on-life life ministry. Don't miss the simplicity, but yet the importance of Jesus spending time with the disciples. It's been two years now. They've eaten meals together. They've prayed together. They've gone out into different villages and communities, and the disciples have seen Jesus healing and teaching with power and authority. And Jesus has even sent them out two by two and then they've come back and reported the things that they saw God do. And now they're traveling a day's journey of 25 miles, walking together, having conversation. And Jesus asked them a very important question. Who do people say that I am? So I want you to think about that in your own life. Who are you investing the gospel in? If you're a believer this morning, who are you sharing life with? You, Pastor Jim, you mentioned of just all of the modern blessings that we have that just in a few hours we can go share the gospel with somebody that lives on another part of the planet. We have technology where we can have conversations with someone that lives thousands of miles away. Do we use those things for the glory of God? Do we go across the street to our neighbor? Do we take them a meal? Do we take them brownies? Do we take them cookies just so that we could have a conversation with them about who Jesus Christ is? Do we care? Does it matter to us? Do we spend time with our own kids? Do we spend time with our spouses? Are we sharing life together? Or do we just go about our days doing our own thing, not really focused on of what is most important? Even as we go about our hobbies, do we see that as an opportunity to invest the gospel with others? As we go to our jobs, do you see the significance of where you work? It's more than just getting a paycheck. Yes, that's important. We have bills to pay. We have responsibilities. But you have men and women there at your workplace that need Christ. You see, Jesus was investing his life in these 12 disciples. There was something bigger. This was about the kingdom that was going to go forth for the ages to come. You know, Jesus asked him a question. Does he not already know the answer to it? I mean, Jesus knows everything. You know, Mandy, I thought about sometimes I may ask you how our, how your day went and things with the kids. And so Mandy gives me an update. 
And, you know, we just talk together. And then I may later ask my kids, well, what were you up to today? Like, I already know kind of the answer because I've already had a conversation with Mandy. But why do we do that? We do that because we care. And we want to engage with the people that are around us. And so Jesus, very lovingly, very caring, but very strategically, is going to have this conversation of utmost importance with the disciples. The word people there is simply the Greek word for man or for men. What are the people? What are the common folks? What's everybody saying about me? What have you heard on the streets? Is what they would say in our neighborhood. You know, where we live, I know there's certain people that I can have conversation with of what's going on. What's the word on the streets? And so let's look at verse 28. Let's look at the answer. And they told him, John the Baptist is what some are saying. And if you go back to Luke 9, you don't have time to turn there this morning, but you can reference that. Luke 9, uh, Herod Antipas, he had had John the Baptist beheaded, and he's thinking, well, maybe John the Baptist has somehow come back. That was one of the things. Maybe this is John the Baptist come back. And then look back at verse 28. Others were saying, well, maybe this is Elijah. And when you think about the Old Testament, we know that Elijah never died. He was just taken up uh, by the Lord. And when you go to Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, I'll just read it for you. There, there's a prophecy here. It says, Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And so maybe Elijah has come, which now Jesus had already told us that John the Baptist was the forerunner and was basically the fulfillment of this prophecy about Elijah to come. And then others simply say, well, maybe he's just one of the prophets. You think about Deuteronomy chapter 18. Moses had said there would be a, a prophet to come, a greater prophet than he. And, and so in Jewish culture and context, there's all these conversations that are being had about Jesus. You see, they understood Jesus was unique. Jesus was different. For him to be able to do the healings that he had done, for him to be able to cast out the demons, for him to be able to teach and preach with authority, the people were understanding Jesus was somehow sent from God. They didn't fully understand, but they knew Jesus was indeed different. But remember from last time I preached, uh, verses 22 through 26, how Jesus healed the one blind man in stages? There was a reason for that. There was a purpose for that. So the first time you know, Jesus touches the man's eyes and he sees the people and he's like the disciples, he says they look like trees walking. It was still a little blurry. It was still a little fuzzy. And, and so in the hearts and the minds of many people, who Christ was, it was still a little bit fuzzy. And even for the disciples. But as Jesus touched that man the second time, he gave him clarity. He gave him perfect vision. And we're going to see here the response of Peter that the disciples were finally understanding. 
indeed who Christ was. Why would there have been fuzziness? Well, you see, for the, the Jews, the Messiah was going to be this military figure. He was going to overthrow their enemies. The Romans were going to be done away with. There, there was going to be this political power. There was going to be this position. And, and so for Jesus to come, and we know that he ultimately came as the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, for the Jews, they were not making that connection. And so for the disciples, that's what they grew up in. Those were the conversations that would have been had of trying to understand and figure out the identity of the Messiah. So let's look at verse 29. So after they have that initial discussion, verse 29, Jesus asked them the second question. He says, but who do you say that I am? Okay, it's not just what other people are saying about me. Disciples, apostles, who do you say that I am? Do they really know who Jesus is? By the way, for each of us today, it's not enough for you to go by what somebody else says about who Jesus is. You can do a Google search right now on your phone and you can get a thousand different answers of who Jesus is, of what the experts say, of what other people may say. But this morning, you need to think about what does the Word of God say of who Jesus is. That is the most important question you could ever ask yourself. And so Peter, the residential spokesperson for the disciples, Israel, this is like the youth that you know the ones that are always going to answer the questions as you ask them as you teach. Well, that was Peter. He was going to be the one that was going to speak out. He kind of was their representative of he's going to give the answer. And so Peter, on behalf of the disciples, look at what he says. Peter answers him, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. In Luke 9, 20, it says, Peter responded, you are the Christ of God. In Matthew 9, 16, another parallel passage, it says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And for those of you that are teachers Kim, I know that you have been a teacher. This is one of those moments where Jesus, he had to be excited because this is right. They get it. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the chosen one. You're the Savior. You're the rescuer. You're the redeemer. You're prophet, priest, and king. You're the anointed one of God. They get it. I mean, all those other things that were said about Jesus, okay, but this is the correct answer. I want to unpack that for you a little bit. That term, the Christ, is the Greek word for the Hebrew word for Messiah. It means the one that has been anointed. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's his title. It's the title for the anointed one of God, the Messiah. And you see, I know, Doug, you guys have been studying this on Sunday nights. I haven't been able to be a part of that. But Jesus is the fulfillment of 
prophet, priest, and king of the Old Testament. He's the total package. You know, in Psalms 110.4, it talked about the great high priest forever from the order of Melchizedek. Who is that? It's Jesus. Jesus wasn't from the tribe of Levi, was he? What tribe was Jesus from? The tribe of Judah. But Jesus was the great high priest from the order of Melchizedek. And we don't have time to get into all that, but I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Go to Hebrews 9, 11 and 12. When you think about the role of the priest, the priest was the mediator, the go-between, between God and man. They represented the people to God and then represented God to the people. And so when you study the Old Testament, you see the role of the priesthood. And now Jesus comes as the anointed high priest. Look at Hebrews 9, 11 and 12. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered, look at this, once for all into the holy places, you know, the holy of holies of the tabernacle, the temple, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, this wasn't about the blood of animals anymore, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Did you catch that? An eternal redemption. Christ is the priest who gave of himself the sinless one to save his people from their sin. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And then think about him as the prophet. I've already referenced Deuteronomy 18. Moses said there would be a prophet to come. Go to John chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. The Gospel of John, John chapter 1, 9 through 14. Think about Jesus as the prophet. All of the prophets of old pointing us forward to the great prophet, the prophet Jesus. Look at John 1, 9, starting there. It says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This is referring to Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but we're born of God. Have you been born again? Have you been born of God this morning? Verse 14. And the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. Jesus. And we've seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. And then jump down to 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the father's side. He has made him known. You see, Jesus is the prophet. He's making known who God is. He's making known the plan of salvation, the plan of redemption. Jesus was the priest, the prophet, and he's also the king. 2 Samuel 7, you don't have to turn there, but the Davidic covenant that God made with King David that through his line, through his seed, would come the king of kings. And it's referring to Jesus and Go to Philippians chapter 2, 8 through 11. 
And we'll see the New Testament fulfillment of that. Philippians 2, 8 through 11, when we think about Jesus as the king. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 says this. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What do you do in the presence of a king? You bow. And Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. So he's prophet, he's priest, he's king. And so when you see Peter exclaiming, you are the Christ. There's so much to that. You know, Doug, this is what the reformers are willing to die for, that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Salvation wasn't through the church. Salvation wasn't through works. Salvation is through Christ. He's the Messiah. He is the Savior. You know, Genesis 3.15, it says the Savior would come and crush the head of the serpent, which is what Christ did. Genesis 15 talks about the seed of the Abrahamic covenant. Well, that is Christ. He's the fulfillment of that seed of the covenant. Jesus is the Redeemer, the rescuer of God's people, the eternal Son of God who took on flesh. He became man to become the perfect sacrifice to save us from our sin, to suffer in our place, to take our place, to take God's wrath and judgment against our sin. And he not only died for our sins, but three days later he resurrected, showing his victory, his power over death, sin, and the grave. He's the resurrection and the life. Everyone who believes in Jesus will never die. Jesus is the gospel. Repent today and believe in the gospel. It's your only hope of salvation. I'll ask you again this morning, who do you say Jesus is? Because you see, you're going to stand before him one day. The Bible says it's appointed for man to die once, and after this is the judgment. And you'll either bow your heart, and you'll bow your knee to King Jesus right now and be saved for eternity, or you'll bow your heart, and you'll bow your knee to him in eternity, and you'll be condemned forever. Narrow is the gate that leads to salvation. Wide is the path. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Matthew 7 that Jimbo read this morning. So from the beginning, the disciples, you go to John 141, you don't have to turn there. But Andrew, he had, he had told Peter, I think we found the Messiah. You need to come follow. And there was this hope. There was this anticipation. But now, two years later, they, they get it. They're clinging to Christ. Now, the next time I preach, we're going to see they still struggle a little bit. Because Peter has this great moment here where he makes this confession. And then the next passage we're going to see things don't go so well for Peter. The plan of Christ as a suffering servant was still a little bit of a fuzzy thing for him, Jimbo. But you think about your own heart. You think about your own life. Even as Christians, if you're in the faith, there's still some, still some things we wrestle with. Still some things we don't fully understand. All right. You may be saying, big deal, so what? Go to John chapter 6, verse 15. John chapter 6, verse 15. I want you to see just briefly why this was so important for these disciples. You know, for two years now, they had, they had seen the work, they had seen the ministry of Jesus. 
In John 6.15, after the feeding of the 5,000, it says this. Perceiving, excuse me, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. You see, initially, as Jesus was coming, the crowds, they were like, okay, he's the one. We're going to go ahead and make him king. He's going to overthrow the Romans. All's going to be well. But Jesus knew he came to die. And so he begins to teach them all throughout John chapter 6 how he's the bread of life and we have, have to eat of him. And some of them just don't understand and they're, they're a little bit weirded out of, all right, who, who is this Jesus? Maybe he's not who we say he is. And look at verses 66 through 69. It says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Were they going to walk away as well? Simon Peter, he answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, many walked away. But these twelve, these disciples, these apostles, by the grace of God, they were committed to the Lord. So for Peter, for James, John, Andrew, the rest of the apostles, beside obviously Judas Iscariot, who was the betrayer, this was a climactic moment. There was no doubt in their minds of who Christ was. Now look at verse 30. Go back to Mark 8. Verse 30. It says, Jesus there, he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And you may be wondering, well, why would he say that? Doesn't everybody need to know who is the Christ? Why would he tell the disciples, don't say anything about me? Well, look at verse 31, and I think Jesus explains it for us. And we'll get into this more the next time, but verse 31, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days, rise again. You see, Jesus knew for the foundation of the world, the plan of redemption, that he came to die, to rescue his people through the cross. Everything we sung about earlier, through his death on the cross, and, and that hadn't happened yet. We're leading up to that, but this wasn't about Jesus, you know, becoming a popular figure, and Religious fervor and woo, we're going to bring Jesus in and everybody's going to you know, follow him. Before there could be a crown, there was to be the cross. And you can go to Isaiah 53 on your own time. You see, without the cross, the gospel would be incomplete. So what's the takeaway for today? Well, here's the truth. Jesus Christ as the Messiah is the foundation of the church. If you take away this truth, everything crumbles. I want to show you that from Matthew 16. Go to Matthew 16. This is the parallel passage. Mark doesn't get into this as much, but Matthew does. Look at Matthew 16. what Matthew says here. The same conversation there on the way to Caesarea Philippi 16 through 18. 
So Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him. Look at this answer. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. That just means son of Jonah. For flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This wasn't an earthly thing. This wasn't a human thing. This was a work of God revealing this truth to him. And look at what it says in verse 18. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, he's not talking about just on Peter that he's going to build. He's talking about this confession of this truth that Jesus is the Christ. And yes, the apostles were part of that foundation. You can go to Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 19 through 22, and you can see that of the prophets and the apostles were the foundation. But who was the chief cornerstone? Christ. And you can go to 1 Peter chapter 2 on your own time and you can look that we are built upon the foundation of Christ, that we're living stones. We're to be living sacrifices and we're built upon this foundation. And I'm just telling you this morning, look at this tree right here. If you could somehow dig underneath that tree and rip all the roots out, take them somewhere else, maybe for a, a moment that tree may look okay, and you may think, okay, that tree's all right, but what's going to happen to that tree? That's right, Bill. It's going down. It doesn't have any roots. It doesn't have a foundation. And I'm just telling you this morning, Everglades Baptist Church, if you lose the gospel, you lose everything. Everything. Everything that the Reformers were dying for, that they were burned for. It was Christ. It was the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. And they were willing to give their lives for it. And if things don't change in America, you may have to give your life for it. Does it mean that much to you? Or will we be a church that compromises and gives away the foundation, gives away the church? And we may have people come, but we're dead if that happens. Guys, don't think apart from the grace of God, the Spirit of God, the truth of God, that that can't happen here because it's happened in thousands of churches all across America. We need to wake up. We need to keep preaching the gospel, teaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, living the gospel, because if you don't have the gospel, you don't have anything. What you've heard this morning, this is the truth. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of the living God. There's no salvation apart from Him. we got to be willing to die for that truth. Who do you say Jesus is? By the grace of God, we'll walk out of here today, right? And we'll go to our homes. And you'll have conversations with your family. And by the grace of God, we'll wake up tomorrow. And you'll go to work. And you'll go to school. Who will you say Jesus is? You see, if you deny him before man, the Bible tells us he will deny you. Is Christ the Lord of your life? Is he your foundation? Have you repented of your sins and trusted in him alone? And last thing I'll say, believer, believer this morning, not only does he rescue us from the penalty of sin, but he gives you victory over the power of sin. Trust in Him every moment of every day of His Word, of His Spirit, of His truth, and whatever it is you're struggling with today.
Christ will set you free because he is the Messiah. He's the Savior. Let's pray together. Lord, would you help us to never give away the gospel here at Everglades. Jesus, if we don't have you, we don't have anything. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. Through the resurrection and the life. You are the prophet, the priest, the king. Lord, there's so much more that could have been said this morning, but I hope and pray if something that was said, God was glorifying and honoring to you. And that, God, you will use it to accomplish your purposes in the lives of your people. Jesus, we need you. God, would you protect our church, protect us from error, protect us from the lies, protect us from ourselves. The flesh is so weak, but all the spirit is willing. It's the spirit, it's the truth that sets us free. May we live this week. Jesus, in the truth of who you are. And it's in your wonderful name that we pray together. Amen. Let's all stand and we will praise our King through song.